0: Thank you so much for those wonderful readings. Shall we pray? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you so much for the wonderful invitation to come here, Mark and Lindsay. We love Mark and Lindsay. They are a gift to you, aren't they? And a gift to the wider church. And I just signed I've just launched my book and I put that in their book. Thank you so much for all the help you've given to us down through the years. And we're thrilled to be here this morning. Well, we're not, I'm not launching the book this morning, but it's, you can get it from Amazon at 6 two pounds cheaper than you can from us. And it's got some incredible stories in. Now, I feel constrained to say this this morning. Uh, Jeff Lucas was speaking at the Assemblies of God Pastors Conference a couple of years ago. And we were all gathered to hear the man of God. And he got up and said, where am I? (laughs) He was busy so much traveling, he'd forgotten where he was. Well, I know where I am. I'm at St. Paul's Ealing. And I had been at the Elim Bible Conference in Northern Ireland two years ago. And at the conference, there was about 3,500 Elim people from all over Ireland there. It was on my friend's ground at Hillsborough. My friend was was the pastor... At the time of the Elim Hillsborough Conference. And we'd been sitting down every night at the front. And R.T. Kendall and Jeff Lucas had been speaking. And on the Thursday night, we couldn't go to the front of the church. And we had to sit at the back. And my friend Robert said, I'm really sorry, Stuart. But we'll have to sit at the back tonight. And I said, don't worry, God's in this. And so when Jeff Lucas got up to speak, he said, just turn to each other. And say hello. Well, there was a couple in front of me with a teenage daughter. And they looked really, really suntan. Now, my brother-in-law had been in the army, at RAF, as a RAF policeman. And he'd served uh, in in Cyprus, at Tecalia. So, I said hello to this man. And I said, you're so Santan. Where do you live? He said, Cyprus. I said, "Oh, I was in Cyprus at, at Famagusta," and he said, "I said my brother-in-law was at Decalia as a RAF policeman," and he said to me, "Is his name Robert Mo- um, Fred Moore, and is he dead?" Well, that is my brother-in-law, and he wasn't dead. He said, "I've been looking for him for ten years." Wow! So I said, "We'll speak to him after the service." See, the Holy Spirit is so wonderful, and so I was enabled. To let them speak to each other after this, if They'd been in a fellowship together at Decalia. I want to share with you, I know the book talks about this. The Holy Spirit is so powerful. I was preaching at Rygate Baptist Church a few years ago. I'd been there every year and my friend John Pottser was the pastor. And I'd gone there this Sunday morning and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me. I don't hear words, I just know. I feel it and I know it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I said to John, how long have you and Kate been here? He said, about eight years. John was the associate pastor. I said, John, you've been here too long. It's time you had your own church. And he said, yeah, maybe it is. The following Sunday, I was preaching at New Malden Baptist Church. And the elders, they didn't have a pastor. The elders came to me and said, we can't find a pastor. So you know what I said to them, don't you? I said, go across to Rygate Baptist Church and see John Potts and they went, and they heard him preach. Then they came back to me and said, Stuart, we want to invite him. I said, why are you asking me? So I phoned John, and I said, they're interested in you coming as a pastor. And so he went to preach, and I spoke at his induction. And I said, John, I don't know why I'm here, because you're a Chelsea supporter, and I support Arsenal. By the way, what time is the games on tonight? <laughs> And they're now renovating the church. The church is in growth. He has huge alpha. There. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. It's the Holy Spirit, that, the anointing that breaks the earth. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Caleb, what a name. My servant Caleb, who has another spirit, a different spirit. Oh, friends, be open to the Holy Spirit and learn to listen and trust him. And you'll have an incredible... Life. I, I just wasn't prepared to say that, but uh, I just felt constrained to say that. Please speak to each other afterwards and welcome each other and see what God has in it for you who you're sitting next to. Now, I have done 60 missions with Baroness Cox, and we rely on prayer. Thank you so much for you as a church, among all the things you do, you support us too. Thank you, Mark. So thank you for being part of our work of being a voice for the voiceless. We had gone to Nagorno, Karabakh, and the Caucasus many times with aid on big Russian jets, and in ninety four we did eight missions and we took a thousand tons of aid down to the besieged Armenians, where there is renewal in the orthodox Church and on one trip i didn 't go. Caroline took a party of British Anglicans and they were touring the churches and every morning, as is her won 't, she uh, does her devotions from the UCB Bible notes and at this particular day, they'd been up by the Azeri border, praying. They had been kneeling, and a rabid dog came out of the border. And who should it bite but Caroline? Well, she phoned me, and she said we were doing the devotions, and the officer said, Stuart, please pray for me. I've been bitten by a rabid dog, and I've had to have the injections. My friend, colleague, my colleague Mervyn said, that's all we need, a rabid cock's running around. Well, anyway, we prayed, and she recovered, but the dog died. Well, (laughs) you think about that. Anyway, (laughs) didn't really, but anyway, we we have to have a sense of humor in the work we're doing. So I want you, (laughs) this morning, to think about our work of being a voice for the voices. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, God called his people, his covenant people, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. And it's our joy and privilege to be a voice for voiceless Christians in, uh, and others in some 25 countries of the world. I'm just going to take you to four places. Now, that man, Ebed Melek is a wonderful man. If CSW had been operating in Old Testament days, he would have been a member. Because he was a covenant child of God. We're told in uh, chapter 39, verses 15 to 18, he had a faith and a trust in God like you and me. He was informed, because when the prophet was put in prison, he knew. He couldn't Google anyone. He couldn't listen to the BBC World Service. He had no website then, but he knew that the man of God was in prison. And so thirdly, not only was he a covenant child of God like you and I, not only was he informed, but he did something with that information. And I pray this morning that we will not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. So come with me to four countries quickly where we are working at the moment and have up-to-date information. First of all, to uh, just before I do, our work is advocates, so we'll go to my next picture. I didn't show this at the first meeting, but we do advocacy at the highest level in the highest forums of the world uh, at the UN human rights commission and this is a picture of the human rights council in geneva we are doing a presentation on eritrea they invited us to do it because of our work of doing accurate true reports of what's happening to christians there are three thousand eritreans currently christians currently in prison at the moment as we sit in this lovely church worshiping three thousand of our brothers and sisters in prison and so they invited us to do a presentation to the whole Human Rights Council in Geneva, and the man on the left is an Eritrean journalist who had been in prison for his Christian faith. And we were able to share and give out documentation about the imprisonment of Christians in Eritrea. And that's what we do best. That's our unique selling point. We don't do aid. We don't even preach the gospel ready to give an answer to every man for the hope that lies within us, but we are advocates. And we do it absolutely passionately, uh, seven days a week, every week of the year, we're working. So come with me, first of all, to Iran, briefly. This is one of the stars of the church, a man who should be in Hebrews 11 on that list, Pastor Sudman, the pastor of the small church in Mashhad, one of the holiest cities in Iran. He went there in the late 80s to pastor a small church, actually a Pentecostal church, um, Edward Hofsepian Mir, who's at the Iranian Christian Fellowship in Chizik, and his brother sent Pastor Sudman to Mashhad, and the church grew. He prayed for Muslims in Mashhad. He shared the gospel with them, and the church grew. And the authorities were so concerned about the growth of the church, they detained him, they imprisoned him. And on the 3rd of December in 1990, when his wife and children... Went to see him and his wife was blind. They went to see him. They said, we're sorry, he's been executed. You can get his body from the morgue. That was an attempt to stop the growth of the church in Mashhad. I was privileged to be in that church in Chiswick on the 3rd of December, just gone. And we heard this news. Today, there are 200 churches In Mashhad. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Praise God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades won't prevail. And there are now thousands and thousands of Christians in Iran. They are coming. Muslims are coming to God. They're seeing dreams of Jesus. And they're turning up to pastors' houses and asking for Bibles. How have you become a Christian? We saw Jesus in a dream. Isn't that fantastic? They see the satellite programmes on SAT seven. And so last June the authorities in Iran suddenly woke up to the fact that there are so many Christians in Iran and so they started to detain and imprison church leaders. And so far two hundred and eighty two of the foremost evangelist pastors and teachers in the church in Iran have been arrested and detained. In 34 cities in Iran. 123 over Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and the day after this year. Many are still in prison. Would you pray for this young man, a wonderful pastor. We'll go to the next picture. Fashid. Let's say his name together. Fashid. Come on, that was terrible. Fashid. I want you to pray for him. He is one of the key leaders of Elam Ministries Network in Iran. He has been in prison now 101 days. He has been subject to, let me tell you what he's been subject to, and I didn't have time to put this slide up. Solitary confinement, sleep deprivation, many hours of interrogation, loudspeakers outside of his cell and religious broadcasting, threats of execution, the gun put to his head and the trigger pulled, pressure to recount faith, Verbal insults, other forms of psychological torture, prolonged beating, and denial of medical attention. Would you pray for Fashid and the church in Iran? And you can get lots more of information from our table and our website. Come with me further to where are we going. We're going to northern Nigeria. I've been to the cities. Uh, we'll go to the next picture, Alex. The cities of Kano, Kaduna, Jos, Bauchi, and Maduguri. Every time there is a publication in the West about Islam that's critical and not helpful, churches are burned in Maduguri. This is a picture of another man who should be listed to the list in Hebrews 11, Pastor George Orgy. In July 2009, Muslim extremists have a an organisation called Boko Haram walked into Madugari, rounded up under guns and um, their hardware 250 Christians and put them in a compound. To so the Christian women in the compound, um, they said, "This: we are going to use you." They, are, they said initially, "Our disputers with the military and the police," but to the women, the Christian sisters, they said, "We are going to use you as a shield." Uh, between us and the military and the police if you don't recant your Christianity to the pastors they said if you don't recant your Christianity we're going to behead you and that man Pastor George Orgy had been in Joss earlier in the day he'd gone back to madugri his wife was missing she was in the compound he went into the compound and saw what was happening and then like Mark would do Uh, He went from couple to couple and stood with his church and other church members and prayed and encouraged them. And finally, he was brought before Yusuf Muhammad. He told him that God loved him. He told him that if he repented and accepted the Lord Jesus as his savior who died on the cross for him, there would be a place in heaven for him. And then he was taken away and beheaded in the compound. There were other pastors, too, that were executed. This is what he said to his best friend before he saw Yusuf Muhammad. If you survive, tell my brother that I died well and I'm living with Christ. And If we all die, we know that we die for the Lord. Would you pray for the church in northern Nigeria? We have lots of information there. Um, at the table. And then we we'll go on to Pakistan, a place where I've been working for 18 years. This uh, is a picture of Shabazz Bhatti. You'll have seen him on the television recently. Shabazz Bhatti was a wonderful Christian who lived his life out and out for God. He had been a voice for Christians who were persecuted under the blasphemy laws, uh, the blasphemy of Muhammad laws, the insulting of Islamic religion which carries a five year prison sentence, the desecration of a Quran that carries a five to eight year prison sentence and blasphemy against Muhammad, saying something derogatory, a death sentence. He had been planning to repeal the laws and he'd been appointed about two and a half years ago as the first Christian as the federal minister for minorities in the cabinet in Pakistan. He was my friend, he was our friend. We worked with him for 13 years. I was with him at the prayer breakfast in Washington just two weeks before he was shot dead. He called Mervyn Thomas, my friend, who Mark knows well and me, to go to his room. He said, I have many enemies in the cabinet. He said, the extremists, I'm sure are going to kill me because they don't want the blasphemy laws repealed. We prayed with him. We absolutely were amazed at his faith how that he loved the cross, he followed the cross, and on the 2nd of March this year, he was shot dead outside his mother's house. His bodyguard wasn't there, the police weren't there who should have been protecting him, and another martyr should be added to that list. This is what he said in November when he was with us at our conference. Thank you, Alex. Minister, but we forgot
1: one question in the interview your life is threatened by whom and what sort of threats are you receiving? The forces of violence, militant band organization, the Taliban and Pro Al Qaeda, they want to impose their radical philosophy in Pakistan. And whoever stand against their radical philosophy they threaten them. When I'm leading this campaign against the Sharia laws for the abolishment of blasphemy law and speaking for the oppressed and marginalized persecuted Christian and other minority, these Taliban threaten me. But I want to share that I believe in Jesus Christ who has given his own life for us. I know what is the meaning of cross and I am following of the cross. And I am ready to die for a cause, I am living for the might community and suffering people and I will die to defend their rights. So these threats and these warnings cannot change my opinion and principles. I will prefer to die for my principle and for the justice of my community rather to, to compromise against uh, on the, these threats.
0: Thank you. Pray for Pakistan he is Shabazz is a great loss. He was their hope in the government. Pray that God will raise up other men, true godly men, to stand for his cause and his work in Pakistan. And finally come with me to Egypt. I've just met an Egyptian in the congregation which thrilled my soul. We have been praying for Egypt now since last September. The Coptic bishop of the Copts in the UK, Bishop Angelos and the evangelicals, came to CSW and said, can we work together to pray for Egypt because the elections are next year in September? There had been a shooting outside a Coptic church on the 20, round about the end of January last year, which stunned the Egyptian Christians, who for years and years have been discriminated against, marginalized, churches burnt, Christians attacked... Muslim apostates to Christians cannot have a Christian marriage, cannot send their children to Christian education, cannot have the word Christian on their ID cards. And so we began to pray for the church in Egypt, for more freedom for them. And Christian women, single and married women, have been targeted to lose their faith. And I could tell you some horrendous stories of the Egyptian Christian women that we've helped in the UK. So we set a day to pray on the 29th of January this year in Bryanston Square, the church there, and the day before the riot started. We shouldn't have been surprised because we were praying. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And so things have moved on so fast. And we really feel and felt there was hope for the church in Egypt. But you know there is a military council now, which has members of Mubarak's old regime there. Their habits die hard. And the, the attacks on Christians are continuing. The elections in September, the Muslim Brotherhood, and the National Democratic Party, Mubarak's party, are well set up and well organized for the elections. And we've got to pray that Christians get organized because they want a fairer, just society. And they're praying, and we believe God's a uh, God who can do anything, that the Constitution won't be based on Sharia law. And so we want you to pray for the church in Egypt. We want you to pray for uh, freedoms for them. We want to pray against the attacks that are happening on Christians. And so we started our campaign, No Way Out, which of course was what the Egyptian Christians were saying, there's no way out for us unless we pray, unless you stand with us in solidarity. So we've got a petition here this morning, and you can't come with us on the mission. Sometimes they're very dangerous, but you can pray. You could sign the petition, which we're going to give to William Hague. We're looking for 50,000 signatures. We're going to give the same petition to Baroness Ashton at the EU and the same petition to the Congress and Senate and Mrs. Clinton. Please help us. I was at the door at the first service and one of our supporters who's here in the church said, do our prayers and letters matter? Oh, they certainly do. I'm going to astound you. When Pastor, Pastor Dominic of the Sul- Sulawesi Reformed Church was unjustly imprisoned in 2000 and two to two thousand and four. He'd been accused of having ammunitions in his car, he was detained, arrested, and he went to prison for four years. We prayed. We asked our supporters to send letters to encourage him. Guess how many? Go on, have a guess. Before I finish, just have a guess. Ethel knows. This is my wife. We've been married forty six years. <laughs> um, how many? Have a guess, go on. Somebody have a guess. 3,000, far too low. I'll tell you, 67,895 cards and prayers and psalms were sent by mainly our support base to that man in prison. What an incredible encouragement. One Anglican young lady put some plasters in an envelope and she wrote scriptures on them and he put them on his wrist in the prison. And when Muslims came to him and said, "What, what are these... He said, this is a message from God to tell you that he loves you. Come to the chapel and I'll explain. He led many Muslims to the Lord. What an encouragement to him in prison. And what an incredible warning to the prison authorities. When we were praying, the most senior Muslim, mullah in Indonesia, sent a letter to the president saying, you've got to let this man of God go. Well, when he was released a year earlier, he went to the mullah's house. He knocked on the door. And he said, I've come to say thank you to your husband who sent the letter to the president. The Muller's wife said, come in. She said, unfortunately, he's dead. She said the very last thing he did before he died was write that letter to the president. He went up to bed and died. Please pray for the persecuted church. Your prayers have an effect. Your letters have an effect. And I'll finish with this slide because it's time to go. Okay, Alex, this is what Pastor Mia Muller said. During um, the war, he was an anti-Nazi activist. He was a Lutheran pastor. He said this. First they came for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and because I wasn't a Jew, I didn't speak up. Then they came for me, And there was no one to speak for me. Please use your voice to be a voice for the voiceless. Amen.